Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, here on the 21st of January. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning on this Friday morning and just so delighted, as always, to be with all of you, to be with Paul Perot here in studio. Carmen is away. I know if you have been listening throughout this week that uh, you would know that she's been fighting a non-COVID-related illness. And Paul Perot, we got the text yesterday morning uh, from Carmen that said, you know what, it's, it's just time for me to take a day off. And if anybody is a gamer, it's Carmen LeBurge. You know, no this, question. This thing had to have stopped her <laughs> in her tracks to, to need that day off because she talks often uh, off the air about how much she just loves this show to bring the mind of Jesus into the headlines of the day for all of us as part of the Faith Radio family to be thinking about really difficult issues at times, to be getting us into the Word at other times, to be talking theological issues at times. It's just, it's, it's been a great delight to see her run on this morning show. It, it is, but... You know, I'm glad she's taking the time to rest because even though she says it's non-COVID, it, she took the test, it she came did. back negative, but she's got all the symptoms. Yeah, who knows? Like, yeah. And, and even if not, right, it's not like the flu decided to take a back seat these last three years. No, and said, you no, know, we're going to no. just step aside. There's so much other. There's so many other things going could, around. Yeah, so exactly. it could be just anything. But great to be with all of you. Our first guest this morning. In just a minute, is going to be checking in from Brisbane, Australia. Gary uh, Miller, he is uh, theology is a, a professor of theology at Queensland in uh, Australia. So he's calling in very late at night. It's Australian a little after time. ten o'clock. It there, is, yeah. it is indeed. But we're going to get into his book, and we've got some copies of the book to give away this morning. It's called "Read This First: A Simple Guide to Getting the Most from the Bible." And I'm terribly excited about this conversation because. As somebody who read the scriptures as a young person and really loved reading the scriptures, I didn't always know how to get a little bit more deeply into the scriptures. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's so worthwhile to just open up the biblical text, read it at face value for the English language. There's so much that God's spirit does in those moments with us. But I hungered for something a little deeper. And I remember when I went to seminary class, and I, I've told this story often, I, I had a professor, I think he was about 227 years old. 220. Fair enough. He had been there a very long time. And we had four straight hours with this professor. And he literally, his teaching technique was to sit down in this pit of a classroom in which uh, I had my seminary experience. And we were all in these elevated benches. So we would basically look at the top of his head. And he had these thick notes of loose leaf pages that he just went through one after another. I think he looked up about every hour or so mm. just to make sure we were all there. This is not teaching 101 in, ter- in terms of technique. <laughs> Techniques, right, and yet every loose leaf page that he would turn felt like it was a key on a on a massive keychain that would he would jangle in front of us to help mm-hmm. us get into the scenes of the biblical text. Things like, so here's how you can get into some of the original languages, or here's how you can get in your time machine and and transport yourself back into first century life. Here's how you get into the author's. Uh, mind in terms of understanding the text. And I sat there riveted for four hours where otherwise I would have been tired on a Monday night as he just jangled one key after another after another. And then he began to unlock some of the mysteries of the biblical text. And in that process, Paul, 
God's word just exploded even mm-hmm. further, and 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 it just its reliability and its authority it was very it was manifest for sure on those nights. Wow, that's all I can say. I mean, to have have a guy who can open up the Bible to you in, yeah. in that wise way is is really cool. So yeah, hopefully and, hopefully Gary will help us do that a bit. He this will. He's going to be joining us here in just a minute with his book. Read this first: a simple guide to getting the most from the Bible. We do have some copies of this book that we can give away. You can enter the drawing to get in uh, into one of uh, the possibilities of getting these four books, and you can just text the word book to 877-933-2484. One more time, that's 877-933-2484. Gary Miller with Read This First, up next. A long time since I've heard that song. That's a Bible <laughs> camp song this morning, Buffalo. I love it. Go fish, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was way better than the Farmer Bingo song. At least we were saying B-I-B-L-E. Welcome back to the program. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge on the 21st of January. And happy to be joined now by Gary Miller, who's the principal of Queensland Theological College and co-founder and chair of the Gospel Coalition in Australia, calling us late in the day his time. Good morning, Gary. Uh, good morning or good evening. It's good to be with you. <laughs> Indeed. Love having you into the program here. We uh, talked in the opener about the importance of just having some simple tools to get into the Word, and we've got some of your books here uh, to give away this morning. Again, 877-933-2484. You can test the word, uh, text the word book into studio, and we'll get you into a drawing for one of these copies. And Gary, tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book. And this book, I think, was born um, when I was a pastor. Uh, for 17 years, I was a pastor in Dublin, in Ireland. Um, I'm Irish. You may pick up from my accent. And when I was a pastor, I always wanted something that would build people's confidence so that they could open the Bible, read it for themselves, and really expect to hear to hear the voice of God. But as a pastor, I just kept coming across people who weren't yet Christians or had just become Christians or in some cases had been in the church for years, but didn't actually have the confidence to read the Bible for themselves. And when I went looking for resources, I, I kind of felt they were either too simple and didn't really help or they were just too complicated. You know, here's a 300-page book <laughs> using words like hermeneutics that's supposed to help you hear the voice of God through the Bible day by day. So that's where it came from. So it's a book actually written to help uh, ordinary people to build their confidence that God's word is clear and that God speaks to us through it. Mm. I love that word confidence, Gary. In your mind, what prevents us from having that confidence? It, it does feel like it's almost this impossible task, uh, task with all of the books of scripture. You open it up and sometimes don't necessarily understand what's going on. So why don't we have confidence when we head towards it? I think there are a couple of reasons. Um, in our context in Australia, more and more people are growing up uh, without any real exposure to uh, biblical Christianity. They've never seen the Bible. Suddenly we hand them this book that is unlike anything they've ever seen before. You know, small print, thin paper, you know, 66 books, what are we supposed to make of this? So at some, for some people, it is just getting going. It's having um, an awareness of the context, where this came from, what this book is actually about. And I think for some people at the other end of the spectrum, they've maybe been around church, 
even where they've been really well taught, that that one of the dangers of really good teaching is that people say, that was fantastic. I could never have got that for myself. Mm. Um, you know, and I think, well, I mean, I do a lot of, of Bible teaching and the worst thing that anyone can ever say to me is, oh, that was fantastic. I never would have seen that. Mm. <laughs> if, if I hear that sentence, I think, oh, I haven't done my job properly. Uh, you know, my, my goal is to teach the Bible really well so that people say something like, oh, yeah, that was really obvious. I don't know why I didn't see that for myself. Mm. Because when that happens, I feel like people's confidence in God's word has increased rather than, you know, some kind of priestly ministry where I have performed some magic. <laughs> you know, now, obviously, I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm the principal of a seminary. I believe in you know, a robust biblical and theological education. We want well-trained pastors who handle the word well, but actually we want people who believe that it's God's word that does the heavy lifting, mm. that, you know, by the spirit, it's his word that does the work. And, and really our job is to expose people to God's word. And I think a key part of that, certainly in terms of personal Bible reading, is getting people to the point where, they read the Bible as instinctively as they watch a show on Netflix. You know, no, no one switches on Netflix and goes, I'll not be able to understand this show. You know, how, how will I make sense of this? They switch it on, they press play, and they fully expect that if they watch what's going on, they get what's important and what isn't. That's a great and example. I think, you know, we're, we're trying to, I mean, what I'm trying to do in the book is get people to the point where they get to the end of the book and go, oh, okay, I can do this. You know, I can read the words in the page. I can, I can pick out what the writer is telling me matters and what doesn't, you know, what's just sort of background, you know, the kind of wallpaper, because the Bible does make it obvious what its message is. The writers, you know, under God are, are underlining things for us. They make it clear what the main point is. And we just need to read with a confidence in God and, if you like, in the original writer, because they will tell us what we're supposed to take away from this, what the, the main point is, how this relates to the coming of Jesus and his rule and his person. Mm. Gary, that's, it's a great example that you use on Netflix. And, and I think for many people, it, it still feels like picking up a remote control to get to Netflix. And if it requires, I don't know about you, if it requires more than three presses of a button for me, I start getting lost. <laughs> yeah. and, and so it does feel yeah. complicated. And, and your book, Read This First, is is meant to help people get into the text. It, so it, it's sort of a one button remote kind of situation. But we're still pretty young in theological history, Gary, in terms of uh, the Bible being accessible to the masses in the way that it is, even when the printing press hit and became more accessible through multiple languages, it still was sort of only for the people who were the well-studied in seminary. But we live in a time now where there's so much information available to everyone in terms of being able to get behind the scenes. What is sort of the unique take within your book of Read This First that would distinguish it from so many other potential pathways to get into scripture, some of which, frankly, aren't all that reliable. I assume you wanted to bring out a reliable way to get into scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the, the basic key is to read the words carefully and responsibly. Um, and I think we all intrinsically, we, we actually have the ability to, for example, to interpret stories, you know, in almost any culture, you know, whether we're you know, whether we're 
um, you know, highly educated or, you know, practically educated, we still do stories. And a large percentage of the Bible is actually taken up with story, with, with narrative. We have the equipment to read a story and to draw the right conclusions. And the wonderful thing about the Bible is it's, it's actually not all that complicated. Um, in all, my kind of area of specialist study, my background is in Old Testament. The great thing about the Old Testament writers is that when something is, they, they want us to get something important, they tell us again and again <laughs> and again. The repetition is the Old Testament's way of highlighting or underlining. Now, once people know that, then they're able to read the text and anyone is able to go, oh, I think, I think I've just read that before, a couple of times before. Oh, that must be important. So there is a sense in which the distinctive of this book is it's designed to help someone just pick up the Bible, start to read, and without using any technical terms that, you know, by the end of, you know, 100 fairly small pages in the book, they've got to the stage where they're reading the words themselves carefully, that they're reading them with an awareness of context, both the immediate context and the whole Bible context, pointing us to the Lord Jesus. And they're actually, again, without using the word, they become sensitive to genre, to the different kinds of literature. Now, we don't need to be able to list off a whole pile of technical terms. You know, we know that a story is different from a poem. You know, we may not be able to define it, but we get the fact that when Paul writes a letter telling a church they need to sort out this issue, it's a different thing, you know, to a psalm, you know, that is essentially a song expressing the truth about God. Now, a lot of these things, when we go straight to technical language and start defining them, we put people off, we make it harder for people to read. So the distinctive of the book is it's encouraging people to pick up the text, read the text. And go, oh, this this kind of feels like a poem, mm. <laughs> like a song. This I get the fact this is a story, but it will be a story with a point that drives us ultimately to the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection. Mm. So the book is designed to be a confidence-building exercise, so that by the end of it, that people are actually pretty quickly uh, generally competent in reading the Bible in a way which is faithful to the words of the page, faithful to the context, but also appreciates that this part of the Bible ultimately is is driving us to Christ himself and to the gospel. That's super helpful, Gary. Uh, we're talking to Gary Miller, author who has written the book, Read This First. We actually have some copies that we can give away this morning. You can text the word book to studio at 877 Eight four, Gary. We're going to step away for just a minute. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about a few more principles of getting in the text that is in this very accessible book that you've written that helps us get behind the scriptures. Stay with us. This is Mornings with Carmen. Waking up to a little Sarah Groves this morning, one of my favorite songs about getting into the Word. She's got a great bridge in that song that she talks about being reminded of. The, the significant and beautiful and eternal principles that are found in Scripture. And we're talking with Gary Miller this morning, who is the principal of Queensland Theological College in Australia. He's calling us late in the evening, his time, early in the morning. Our time, we've got his book, Read This First, A Simple Guide to Getting the Most from the Bible. We do have copies to give away. The texts have been coming in fast and furious this morning with the word book that you can text into studio at 877 933 
And during the break, Gary, you and I were talking a little bit about uh, helping people understand that even though the Bible can feel a bit like a puzzle, it's not like God is sort of just sitting back there waiting and saying, yeah, as soon as you get smart enough to figure this out, then I'm going to open up the text for you. There there really are some basic ways to get into this. So so take us into that a little bit more. Yeah, I think we just have to remember that, that this is how God speaks to all of us as his people. And if you want to hear the voice of God, all we need is the the book that God has given us and the spirit living in us. And then after that, it's kind of ordinary means. It's reading the Bible. It's thinking. It's being responsible. It's recognizing what the words mean, what the sentences mean. So in a way, there's no mystery about this. There's no rocket science. You just need to read the text carefully and actually to, to do what comes naturally, you know, to, to make sure that we're... Um, uh, it's not interpretation isn't this great kind of mystical thing. It's let's read the words on the page. The writer under God is telling us what God wants us to hear. So in that sense, the book is designed to help Christians just realize that God has set this book up so that we can understand it. We can hear the very voice of God as we seek to live with and for the Lord Jesus. It's incredibly helpful, Gary, uh, because it just it, you're making it sound as if it's easy to get into the biblical text, and and I think by easy, I just simply mean that maybe just a mental discipline before we open up the scriptures is to remember what you just said, which is that yeah. God is not trying to create a mystery, and so even just take a breath and a pause and say, I might not get everything out of this this first time through, but there's an actual invitation. God's not trying to put up some veil between the holy of holies and our lives as we get into the Word. Yeah. I, th- I think that's it. I mean, like many things in the Christian life, it's not actually that complicated. No, it, it is just hard. And God, in his great kindness, has given this book, which is both immensely rich. You know, so you spend a lifetime studying the Bible, and, you know, we never exhaust its riches. You know, and regularly, you know, I'll read something myself, and, you know, in my morning devotions, and go, <laughs> whoa, I've been reading this book for 40 years, and I'm sure that wasn't there the last the last time I read it. You know, but it's not actually complicated because God is committed to making himself plain. You know, that's why, for example, the New Testament was originally written in the, the Greek of the common people so that people could understand it. You know, that's why God's committed himself, if you like, to the rules of grammar and normal language and why he has real people writing in real down-to-earth language. Now, yes, there's a there's a time distance and a cultural distance, but it's my firm conviction that any believer who reads the text, prays and asks for God's help, and just reads the words on the page, thinks about it, uh, and tries to kind of put the message together, they will get it. They'll get the gist, you know. It may be that we need to you know, chew it over. We need to come back to things again and again. Sometimes the penny may drop may take a little while to drop. But actually, the plain message of Scripture is clear when we read the text carefully. And the book is written to try to help people to actually see that. You know, it's structured kind of every chapter. There's a passage for people to work through and hopefully some fairly obvious connections and steps for them to make. And the goal is that by the time they get to each chapter, they go at the end of each chapter, they go, okay, yeah. I got what that part of the Bible was about. Perhaps I can do this after all. Mm. Uh, so that in God's kindness, by the end of the book, people are going, say, yeah, 
you know, yes, yeah, sure, I can always learn more. I can, there's more help I can get with context or background. But basically, every time I read the Bible, I, I think I'll be able to get to the heart of the part that I'm reading. I love it, Gary. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us this morning. You've clearly tapped into a nerve. There's been quite a few texts coming in this morning into the studio to get a copy of your book. Read this first, A Simple Guide to Getting the Most from the Bible. One more time, you can text the word book into studio at 877-933-2484 to get into this drawing. Gary, enjoy the rest of your evening in Brisbane, Australia. And as we go to break here, we're going to hear a little bit more from Sarah Groves about some of those great words from Scripture. Don't despair. You're persecuted but not abandoned. We are no longer slaves. We are daughters and sons. And when we are weak, we are very... You know, Paul, I always marvel at how many national days we have on the mm-hmm. calendar. It's not until yeah. I do this morning show that I find out from you in, in, in your infinite cultural wisdom how many different national days we have. And today, among the many national days that it is, it's National Hugging Day, but I would think that National Hugging Day has taken quite a hit these last three years, two and a half uh, years yeah, with COVID, right? COVID, and definitely. So not easy to do, but the importance of a hug is that you can see the physical reaction within the body. As soon as we mm-hmm. touch one another as human beings, this bonding agent, uh, this chemical oxytocin is released in our bodies, and, and it actually creates a bond between us as human beings. So. In this time of isolation where we feel alone and confused, I would just recommend finding somebody that you know that you trust that's safe, COVID-free, all of those qualifiers <laughs> we have to use these days, and, and just give somebody a hug and remember that we are actually connected one to another. Oh, we are human beings. We're, we're, we're beings. We're not just detached. That's Okay, you got me on that subject. I could go long on this. There's a lot there. There's a lot there because I know there's a lot of talk about just getting into the meta-universe and relating to people. <laughs> it's... Sorry. Yeah. It's not the same. I am not about augmented reality, virtual reality, the goggles we can put on to escape from the world. We need to stay as human beings. And another human being that joins us regularly on Mornings with Carmen is Dan DeWitt. We're going to talk a little bit about human values. We're also going to talk and reflect upon Martin Luther King Jr. Day that we celebrated earlier this week. I've heard it said that the average teenager actually goes deaf after hearing about five sentences from a parent's lecture. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you have teens in your house, you probably know what I'm talking about. That flinch in the shoulder, the eyes roll up into the skull as they turn and leave the room. Maybe you need a different approach. If your teen goes deaf five sentences in, learn to condense your message. Or better yet, start with a question. Yeah, I know you want to correct bad behavior. Let them learn the way you learn through asking questions and sorting through the answer on their own. When you change your approach, you might be surprised what your team decides to hear. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org. Back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Carmen is a bit under the weather. I know she's talked about that with all of you this week. And uh, she texted yesterday and said, yeah, I could just use another day to recover from this non-COVID related illness. And we're joined at this time by Dan DeWitt, who joins the show regularly. He is the director for the Center of Biblical Apologetics and Public Christianity at Cedarville. Good morning, Dan. 
Good morning, Peter. So great to be with you. Yeah, great to hear your voice again. And I love your blog, theolatte.com. That's Theo and then the coffee word latte.com. You do some great writing there at the in these conversations about how we can understand important things going on in our world today. And of course, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day this week. And uh, you teased out a quote in your blog that I think is an incredibly important quote. It's a quote that I use with my students uh, year in and year out when we talk about matters of social justice and racial division and strife and some of these very, very hot, heated kinds of conversations. And and I watched the I Have a Dream speech this last uh, weekend, and I began to tear up a little bit over those 15 minutes because I thought, gosh, we just don't talk this way anymore with one another. I think our whole nation could probably stand to sit down and watch this. And the quote that you referenced wasn't from this speech, but it's a really important quote uh, that I think is, is familiar to some of us, but it certainly is not in the psyche of my students anymore. King said this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And you commented on this uh, in this blog. Tell us what you're seeing in this quote and the importance of it for today. Well, this has been for a long time one of my favorite King quotes. And yeah, I do. There, there's been a lot of discussion in social media this week in terms of making sure we quote things in context. And I think this is one of those quotes from King that really gives you the whole thing in the quote, right? That this is the approach that Martin Luther King Jr. took to dealing with people who hated him um, because of the color of his skin. And he was encouraging his audience not to respond in like manner. And of course, for Christians, we hear that and we say, this is this is Christ-like. This is echoing the way of Jesus who said, turn the other cheek, love your enemy. Um, so I was reminded in, in this quote that Jesus didn't command us to, to like our enemies. Um, he commanded us to go so much further than that, to love them. And Jesus, of course, himself modeled the nature of love. So I think this quote really embodies a Christian perspective towards difficult people, oppressive people, hateful people. And if we just respond in like manner, all we're going to do is continue to stir up and enhance the hatred and darkness in the world. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing that you're referencing that we need to um, get into even more so rather than just even listening to it and maybe wondering about it and saying, yeah, that's really true. But start putting these things into practice because there is a lot at stake, I think, Dan. And, and King goes on to quote, and I'll summarize now from here. He says that if we continue this pattern of violence begetting more violence or darkness begetting more darkness, we're going to end up in this descending spiral until we find ourselves in a night that is devoid of the stars. And hmm. and I think he was, I mean, he he had a prophetic voice. I don't mean he was a prophet, like an Old Testament prophet, but he was able to cut through so much of the baloney in the culture and try to find those rocks in which we stand. And this is a pretty considerable rock to say, hey, look, if we keep acting in violent ways towards one another, uh, not just physical violence, but the emotional or spiritual or hatred kind of violence of the heart, we end up maybe, well, I don't know, where we are today in 2022, where there is such polarization going on between us. Yeah, we, we see the outcome of that. And we also see you don't have to go far on the internet to find Christians who are pastors, professors, people who've um, known Jesus for a long time, who um, really are doing the opposite of what King said, and I, I would argue the opposite of what Jesus said to do, and they are just stoking the flames, um, and they are adding uh, insult to injury and, you know, returning, um, going for their pound of flesh for someone mm -hmm. who doesn't even know them, but has um, maybe done something they disagree with, and you just really would not see in in 
this online interaction we often have as Christians, the heart of what Jesus told his disciples, that they will know you're my followers because of your love for one another. And so I'm so thankful for someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who was willing to speak, as you said, this prophetic voice to challenge um, the sin, to challenge the the um, apathy towards sin, and to call us to unity. So instead of just saying, here's the divide, you're on the wrong side, which was indeed the case, I mean, right, um, the civil rights movement, there was a right side and a wrong side. Right. But here's Martin Luther King calling people together, and what a, a beautiful picture for Christians to follow. Yeah, what you just said, that was what was causing me to tear up in the I Have a Dream speech, is that there mm-hmm. there wasn't, in acknowledging the injustice that was objectively going on related to how black people were being treated in our country with segregation and the Jim Crow laws, he never then went to diminish the the um, oppressors, as it were. The, in that time, it was a lot of uh, people that were Caucasian in certain parts of our world that were doing the oppressing, but he never diminished them in calling out the injustice that was part of what was going on. He he wanted all of us to begin to live together in this beautiful brotherhood and sisterhood. And and we as we've lost that in the culture, Dan, you said something really important a minute ago, which is how we treat one another is evidence uh, of who God is. And I've been talking with my students in my evangelism discipleship class these last couple semesters saying the church has an opportunity to disrupt culture in a really important way, but it's going to start mm-hmm. with how we treat one another in our, the church itself, like how we are in our lives together is going to maybe be the most evangelistic kind of opportunity we have today. Yeah, you know, I, I love how you frame that. I, I was sharing with the class I teach here at Cedarville yesterday about three testimonies, the first being the personal one's personal testimony, the second being the testimony of the church, and then finally the testimony of the Holy Spirit and encouraging them, you know, we can't control the Holy Spirit. John 3, Jesus said it's like the wind, you know. Um, we can't control it, but that ultimately is the the only compelling, you know, that's the, the only kind of argument someone can experience against which no counter-argument can, can do anything. <laughs> um, but what we can do is we can affect the personal testimony and the testimony of the Church, and I reminded them of what, G, of what um, the Apostle Paul, rather, said in Colossians 4, Make the most of your time with outsiders. And then he goes on to say, season your words with salt. Um, This is a picture of what our testimony should look like. And I think that this King quote for me just really embodies um, the attempt to do that. If someone is going to slander you, if they're going to say bad things about you, Jesus said, great, you're blessed. Um, Now respond in love. Yeah, so well said. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. did not live a perfect life. Of course, none of us do. And yet, I do think this is a, a time and a season in which it's worth really spending some time revisiting some of what he had to say related to issues of justice among us, because there really was, it was underpinned by this nonviolent love for one another that we deeply need. We're talking with Dan DeWitt this morning. Dan, we're going to step away for just a minute. And when we come back, we'll change the topic to some interesting, potentially controversial headlines that are coming out of the Catholic Church with what the Pope had to say recently. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning. It's about 13 minutes before the top of the hour here on the 21st of January. And we're talking with regular contributor Dan DeWitt, who is the director for the Center for Biblical Apologetics and Public Christianity 
at Cedarville. He's also the author of a, blog, a series of blogs and a website that you can go to, theolatte.com. That's Theo, T-H-E-O, the word latte like coffee, because Dan loves coffee.com. Dan, what's in the mug this morning? What are you drinking? Um, I just finished a cup of Good Folks Coffee. Um, which is, I'm like a proud sponsor. They are based out of Louisville, Kentucky. They were named Coffee of the Year for the state of Kentucky. So um, really good stuff. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, my buddy, uh, he, he brews beans at home these days, as people seem to be wanting to do. So he brought me over yep. a, a bag of fresh, fresh roasted at-home beans. I got to tell you, once you get to be a coffee snob, it's pretty tough to go back. It is. Once you've had like good, fresh coffee yeah it's really hard like the best part of waking up is not Folgers <laughs> that is a reference to my childhood for sure I do remember that as one of those seminal commercials where we're talking about some of the headlines today that are happening within the church and also they have an impact on culture and vice versa back and forth and this last week Pope Francis addressed the governing governing body of the Catholic Church called the Holy See and he spoke on a number of of topics, Dan, and for people who may not be as familiar with what the organization is like within the Catholic Church, I grew up in the Catholic Church and still have a profound respect and appreciation for it. But when the Pope speaks, it really is headline making or newsworthy because there's a theological idea of ex cathedra is the Latin word, but it means from mm-hmm. the lips of God. And and the Pope is seen as somebody from sitting in that, that chair that he speaks as if he's uh, directly from God in this. And it created quite a, quite a bit of controversy this week. Take us into this. Yeah, so the, the Pope often, like you said, he has such a uh, large platform, obviously, and so influential that people pay attention. And so sometimes he'll um, what he says will be considered controversial, and you step back and you go, why is that controversial? But again, it's it's the Pope, so people are paying mm. attention. And he spoke on a number of issues, you know, global warming, um, the COVID pandemic, and Christians' need to model love in various ways that we serve one another. But at one part of his speech, he stopped speaking in Latin, or I mean Italian, rather, and he spoke two words in English, and those two words were cancel culture. And the fact that he spoke them in English, I think, probably shows us who he has in mind, the English-speaking world. And people have kind of responded in all kinds of ways about, here's the Pope speaking out about cancel culture. Another term he used is ideological colonization. That's a mouthful. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean, Dan? Yeah, that we're essentially forcing people to adopt a specific narrative, and we are going to writ out every other view. And we see this in all kinds of ways. The Pope said that, you know, there's a number of public institutions and organizations that are being taken over by this. Essentially, it means this. If you don't buy a specific narrative, then then shut up. Mm, <laughs> you yeah. don't have room to talk. And what the Pope said is this actually robs us of our own identities. And so he's not arguing here. In his talk, he uses the word dialogue 13 times. So the Pope is not suggesting that— um, to get rid of cancel culture, just let the Catholic Church be the only one at the table. That's not what he's saying. He talked about, you know, the importance of religious freedom. What he is saying, however, though, is that we need to have the kind of organizations, the kind of public interaction that allows for every perspective and doesn't immediately shut you down because you don't buy into the majority narrative. Hmm. I think one of the great ironies in this conversation about cancel culture 
and diversity and some of the buzzwords of our day is that to be an advocate of diversity would mean that at the same time you can't be an advocate of cancel culture because if we're forcing everybody into the same narrative, then to the extent we're doing that, we're absolutely losing any sense of diversity in in our conversations with one another. Yeah, and the Pope mentioned that, that often this is done in the name of diversity. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny. You have people saying the same thing the Pope did in recent history. You have Madonna critiquing cancel culture, um, not intended to be another Catholic reference, but Madonna the artist, um, the pop artist. <laughs> you have Dave Chappelle, Steve Harvey. A number of people have come out and critiqued it. Um, but I think what the Pope's saying has a not only a um, ring of truth to it because of his authority with the Catholic Church, but also this is a deeply held, again, Christian value in terms of loving one another, and loving one another means listening to one another. Um, to go back to what Paul said, to season our words with salt, to make sure the way we're talking with others is making the most of our opportunity with them. And so I'm thankful and I agree wholeheartedly um, with what the Pope said. And I'm also thankful that it wasn't just um, a kind of tirade against Western cancel culture, but he was calling us into dialogue, and that's something Christians need to be reminded of as well. We need to have meaningful conversations with people who may think we're stupid, but we need to learn how to do that and do that well. If we don't learn how to do that well, we're really not going to be effective as salt and light in the culture. Yeah, amen to that. I think what you just said and something that you and I referenced uh, before the break in our first segment is the idea that evangelism moving forward is probably going to be best represented or most effective according to how we live our lives together as believers disruptively in this yeah. time. And, and, I, and I'm thankful to see the pendulum beginning to swing away from cancel culture where people sort of stood in the gap in some of these ways that does give us an invitation as a church to do what you've just described. And that's the practice of loving one another. The heartbeat of God's kingdom is the demonstrated love of God. And Dan, as I've kind of worked through the scriptures on what love means, I'm not sure it's the perfect definition for it. But it means that in our social lives, in our relational lives as parents and as kids and as friends and in the church, it means that what animates us or what energizes us is this compassionate, other-centered, fierce, never-forsaking love for one another where we actually have the well-being of another person. We put that ahead of our own. When I try mm -hmm. to describe it in that way, that kind of life is disruptive, and, and I think it could cause quite a bit uh, of social change. And even if it doesn't do that, it's going to call people into the kingdom and say, wow, I want to be a part of this deal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think of uh, the Francis Schaeffer line that our, our final apologetic, which of course means an a, a argument for the truthfulness of Christianity, our final apologetic, our last apologetic, is our love for one another's. And I think what we need to do, and I have to remind myself of this too, that I need to quit being so focused on the air game. You know, how am I going to like tweet this or that and hmm. kind of in a good way, try to virtue signal what I think is, is virtuous um, and, and be more focused on the ground game. How can I live this out with the, uh, the lady that works behind the counter at Dollar General right across the street from our university? How can I live this out with you know, the waitress I'm going to meet, or how can I live this out with a professor that I'll have lunch with in the near future from a university down the street? How can I live this out locally and quit necessarily being so um, absorbed by what's going on on the, on the conversation on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram?
Hmm. Yeah. Give us some other ways to think about this, too, Dan, as we wrap things up this morning, because I'm thinking about the little town that my wife Hallie and I live in, and we, we have a date night every week. And when we go out, we tend to sort of go to our favorite haunts, as it were, in, in the town. But we, we've tried to practice what you're describing and being disruptive in some ways, not in a bad way, disruptively kind. And one of the real practical ways we've done it is as we save up some money or have finances available, we'll just tip 40% instead of 20. And, yeah. and over time, it's amazing the doors that it, that it opens as we regularly are in the same place. And suddenly now we're getting into the lives of the servers and the people that are there. They're telling us about our families, their families and kids, and their, their mm-hmm. eyes sort of light up when we come in. And it was just a, a simple act of disruptive kindness that didn't cost us that much. And yet we have these opportunities all around us. Yeah, I would say be a blessing. You know, if if we ask ourselves, and I, I say this is convicting to hear it come out of my mouth, because how easy is it to think about what what I need and what I want to get from various places, which involve people. So that means that my, the attitude can spill over, like this is what I need at the moment. And to turn that around and say, how can I be a blessing? Mm-hmm. So the, being a blessing might be eye contact with them, smiling at them, asking them how they're doing. And then at some point we have to put our money where our mouth is, right? I think that that, um, the fact that you tipped up in, in a generous way is so great. I, I heard of, I was at a restaurant with my, my niece, who's a server in Colorado Springs, and she was sharing a very similar story where someone came in and blessed one of the servers and everybody in the restaurant after that, that customer left, we're talking about that and mm. how it affected them. Yeah, these simple ways. I think we have a lot of creative people that are part of the Faith Radio family. I bet if a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand people decided to just do these simple, disruptive acts of kindness, we could really make a dent in the world. Dan, I love chatting with you again. Uh, as you're listening this morning, the website is theolatte.com. You can check out Dan's work on a number of these topics. Have a great rest of the morning, Dan, and a great weekend ahead. Thanks, Peter. Take care. Take a short break and wrap up this first hour of the show and preview hour two on Mornings of Carmen here on the 21st of January. Sure appreciated that conversation with Dan DeWitt. He mm-hmm. just he really does tease out so many things and, and, and kind of gets to the heart at some of these really important cultural conversations. He does uh, in many other ways. That's why, um, tell you what, you didn't talk about it, but if you go to theolatte.com and go on... Uh, yeah, it's dot com, right? It is, yeah. Okay. And you go to the blogs, he has what's called the Weekend Worldview Reader. Yeah. Some of his articles, some other articles that okay, you might not agree with, but it he's trying to get us into the cultural conversations of the day with some good good thoughtful stuff to us for us to engage and so Indeed. yeah I, I would encourage you to check that out this weekend it's the weekend worldview reader yeah i love it theolatte.com and another person that helps us do this regularly on mornings with carmen is adam holtz he is the author at pluggedin.com that does so many different movie reviews book reviews video game reviews all of these things that are part of our daily lives together and we're going to talk about the movie redeeming love it was a movie that was marketed as a faith-based movie but it has quite a bit of explicit content to it and we're going to talk about how we can navigate that as a family so stay with us here in hour two coming up on the 21st of january for mornings with carmen i'm peter kapsner filling in for today thanks for listening to this podcast of mornings with carmen laburge from faith radio If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.